0: Good morning, good to be standing before you this morning. ask you if you have your Bibles to turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we'll be looking together in verses 1 through 8, Luke's Gospel chapter 18, 18 verses 1 through 8. Last week we discussed our first spiritual habit. Unfortunately, you had to look at me on a TV, so I'm sorry about that, but God, through His grace, has provided many different ways for us, so thankfully, we were able to continue in our series, a much better at this distance, I'm sure, for many of you. That's like my kids. Uh, I don't know if I should get off track here, but when my kids see me on the TV, it's like, Dad, God, you know? In 4K, it doesn't look as good, you know what I'm saying? And so there's too many imperfections. But we're thankful to be here and able to stay on track. We discussed last week the scriptures and scriptural intake as a spiritual habit that believers must have, talked about the fact that it was the food by which we find our sustenance. If you're thinking about life, then you must eat, and scripture is the food by which we find our sustenance. And today I want to discuss our second spiritual habit that we want to focus on in this series, and that is prayer. If you can imagine the Scriptures being the food and the drink of the Christian life, the sustenance of the Christian life, but nourishes us, it keeps us healthy, then we can think of prayer as our very breath. Food and, and, and the Scriptures being the food that sustains us. Prayer is the very breath of true Christianity. That's what J.C. Ryle said in the 17th, 18th century when he said prayer is the very life breath of Christianity. It's where religion begins. It's where faith flourishes, but it's also where it will decay. You can look at the health of a believer and a follower of Jesus, and you can determine the health of that believer and their walk with the Lord when you consider their prayer life and where their prayer life is. The Bible's clear that our weak faith sometimes, our disobedient hearts come from a lack of prayer. When Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, he was telling them that prayer is what keeps us from decaying into temptation, falling into temptation. Prayer is what sustains us as our very breath. My question's, For those that come to me about their walk with the Lord and how they're struggling in their walk or their lack of faith in certain situations, I ask two simple questions usually. Are you reading your Bible and are you praying? Those are the two that we evaluate in our life as to are we healthy. So the first thing, if you're struggling in life, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? The scriptures say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing, the scripture says, for this is God's will. For those of us that are seeking to determine what God's will is in our life, just as we saw last week, God's will is our sanctification. God's will for us is to pray without ceasing. Those two things go together. So many will say, I want to know what God's will for me is. Well, God's will for us is to pray without ceasing. Yet, prayer is just like a classic in literature. Warren Weersby says that a classic is a book that everybody has and nobody reads. And it's true. The best research tells us, and I would not want to poll any of you for even uh, this question, the best research says that the average Christian may pray two to three minutes, not in a day, in a week. And the scriptures say God's will for us is to pray without ceasing. Why the question must become, and really my aim here today is not so much to to do a didactic sermon on prayer. My aim here today is hopefully to get each and every one of us to see the preciousness of prayer, the glory of it, to catch it, to know we can't live without it, to know that it's, it's a privilege for us to be able to call on the Lord. And why would we neglect so great a privilege in our life? Why would we neglect so great a thing? We get to enter into the very throne room of God, and God tells us that we can come in there boldly, into his presence. Now understand what this means for us. It it goes back and you know your stories in the scriptures. You know how the holy of holies, the most holy place was kept away from the people. And the priest could only enter into there one time a year on one day. And he had to make sacrifices for himself to even enter into that place because that's where God dwelt with his people. And so to enter into the presence of God, only one person one time a year could enter into that presence and to care for those things. But when Christ came for us and he died in our place, he took our sin and he washed us clean for those who believe in him on that cross. You remember that that curtain that separated that most holy place was torn in two. And why is this? Because we were invited in. Through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, we're invited into the very throne room. And the great privilege of the believer, the great privilege of the child of God is that God has, hear me when I use this word, I use it on purpose. God has obligated himself to us. That he says, if you call on me in my son's name, I will hear you and I will answer you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. It will be given to you. Jesus has accomplished this for us in such that we can enter into the very throne room of God boldly. And so now we have the ear of the creator of the universe. Now the one who spoke everything into existence out of nothing. The one who that first verse in the scripture is about, in the beginning, God. We have his ear so that we can call on him at any time, at any place, through the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This privilege is incredible. And really, he goes even beyond that. We don't need to even put on our best to enter into the throne room. Christ has already put it on for us. We don't even need to watch our words to enter in. In fact, the scripture says that he takes our broken phrases, our mismatched words, when we don't even know what to speak, he takes those and turns them into requests that we need. I remember remember, uh, in chapel at Southern Seminary, it's funny how the Lord impresses upon you at certain times, certain sermons, certain even illustrations, and I'll never forget listening to the preacher named Ralph West A pastor in Texas come and preach in 2004, I believe it was, speaking about prayer. He used an illustration about a little girl named Julia, a young girl that lived close to her elementary school. She had a religious mother that taught her how to pray and, and gave her, as he said, the benefits and the blessings of prayer. Her mother told Julia, you ought to pray always, just as the scripture says. Julia would walk to school because she lived close, but she had to go through this wooded trails to get there. And one evening on the way home, she took the wrong trail and found herself lost. She began to wander through, going in circles over and over again. Now, this was before cell phones and Life 360, if you know what I mean. All she remembered at that time that she was lost, all she remembered is that her mom taught her to always pray. And so she began to pray, and she prayed like this, Brother West said. She began to pray, and she said, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. And she prayed over and over. Just prayed that same prayer over and over. By this time, a man stepped out of the woods and said, Look, girl, what are you doing playing out here in the woods It's getting late and you should be home. And Julia said, oh, I'm not playing, I'm praying. The man said, no, I heard you playing. You were reciting your ABCs. And she said, oh, no, that may have been ABCs to you, but it was prayer to me. And the man said, you were playing, young lady. Julia said, no, I wasn't. You found me, didn't you? Y'all will get that. In this illustration, we see both the power of prayer and the necessity of it. We see how God even takes when we don't even know what to pray. He even takes that. We see the privilege of it. We see the glory of it. So why then, if if, if Jesus came to die so that we could enter into the very throne room presence of God? If God says, because of what Christ has done, we can call on Him at any moment, He'll answer us. If God says to us, because of what Jesus has done... Now, anything you bring before me, I will hear you. If that's true, why is it so hard for us to do it? Why is it so hard for us to take advantage of this glorious privilege? If it means that it helps us not to fall into temptation, are you tired of falling into sin? Well, Jesus says, pray always so you will not fall into temptation. Why, if it's so very, the the very breath of life that we give, it gives us our very breath as the believers, why do we not do it? It's God's will for us, the scripture says. Why do we not do it? The privilege of praying to the Father. Really, as we talk about spiritual habits, we recognize this is more than a habit, this is life itself. This is more than us just checking something off our list during the day. This is the very breath that we breathe. Breathing is not a habit. We have a lot of habits in our life, and breathing is not one of them. Breathing is a necessity. It is life itself. And so, with that in mind, we turn to our passage in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. A parable. A parable in which we find, as one scholar said, we find the key hanging at the door. In other words, in the very first verse, the Lord, through uh, Luke uh, giving us in this narrative, tells us exactly what the Lord wants us to know from this parable. So let's read it together in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this privilege, even now, this privilege that we are exercising here this morning. God, we thank you for prayer. Burn in our hearts through the power of your Spirit, the desire to to know you and speak to you. The desire, Father, to call upon you, recognizing that our help comes from you in all circumstances and situations. God, may we be drawn toward you this morning through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, when you come to this parable, sometimes things are hard to understand. Sometimes they make it easy on you. And Luke, as he often does tells us exactly what we're to learn from this parable. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The very point of this parable parable that's clear and obvious is that we must persevere in prayer. We must persevere in prayer. Now it's important that we put this passage in context. As we consider this passage this morning, we need to remember that these words are strongly connected to what comes before In fact, remember that these stories, especially as you have your Bibles, and many of you will have headings over certain paragraphs or certain certain things, these stories are put together in this order for a reason. And so when you look at this right after the parable of the persistent widow, as we just read, right after that, you'll have the Pharisee and the tax collector on what real prayer is and which prayer God accepts. But before that, you have an interesting passage, one that's. Not so easy to understand. It's not quite as clear, but I think the point is perfectly clear. The passage before is about the discussion of the coming of the kingdom, or the second coming of Christ, if you will. The passage before is talking about what will it be like when Christ returns. It says several different things. Now, again, there's some difficult things in there. He says, he talks about where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. You know, you have these these phrases in there. But the passage is clear. When it comes to the second coming of Christ, we don't know when that will be. Jesus even makes it clear that we're not sure when he will come. We don't know where it will be. In other words, where we will be, excuse me, we don't know where we will be. We don't know what we will be doing or where we will be. So if we don't know when, we don't know where we'll be, we don't know what we will be doing, then how should you prepare for that? It says in this passage that it will be all of a sudden Jesus will come back. You don't know where you may be. You don't know what you will be doing. But it will be all of a sudden Jesus will return. And he also adds something in this passage that's important. When Jesus comes back, there will be judgment. He speaks of Noah in the times of the flood. It will be just like that, he said. He speaks of Sodom and he talks about Lot's wife in that that time where the fire came. It will be like that. Remember Lot's wife. Don't look back to this world. Look forward to who Christ is and him coming. He says these these things are true. So when it comes to the second coming, we don't know when it'll be. We don't know what we may be doing. We don't know where we might be when it happens. It will be all of a sudden, but when he comes, it will be serious and there will be judgment. Flood and fire, if you will, as he points back to those things. And so, as you look and come to the end of that section, you come next into chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So in essence, we're waiting on that second coming to come. We're waiting on Jesus to return. We don't know when it'll be. It'll be all of a sudden, but it'll be sure. And not not only do we not know when it'll be, we don't know, we don't know what we may be doing or where we might be. We need to be ready at all times, whatever it is we are doing. And what he's saying is this, it is prayer, regular, constant prayer, without which we will faint in this waiting period without which we won't last, without which we won't make it. It will be regular, constant prayer that, we, that must be our employment while we wait. In other words, while we're waiting on Jesus to return, what should we be doing? Always praying. Always praying, he says. And so connecting these two stories teaches us that in the meantime, waiting on the second coming of Christ, we ought always to pray and not faint. Don't lose heart. Our Christian life began with prayer. If you remember correctly, whenever you saw your sinfulness, whenever you recognized your need of, of a Savior to save you and redeem you, and you saw the sinfulness of your own heart, and you recognized in and of your own streak, strength you deserve hell, and it was coming for you fast. What did you do when you heard of that Savior who died in your place, took your sin, and takes away your guilt and shame? You cry out to him, and that's prayer. The very first act, the very first sign that your heart has been changed by Christ and that you have seen the necessity of a Savior is that you call out to Him. It's the very first evidence of conversion. But not only that, this is where Christianity flourishes. It keeps us from temptation. It strengthens us in times for boldness. Read through the scriptures. I love it. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John had gone to the temple, and they said, as that one was lame there at the temple, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I freely give. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And they brought them in. They brought them in, and there's Peter and John standing before the very ones who, who condemned Jesus, the very ones who sent him to the cross, Caiaphas and all of his crew he's standing before them and he says what i will tell you is there is salvation in no other name in jesus christ no longer denying him to the slave girl by the fire on the night jesus was betrayed but now he's proclaiming him to the very ones who could put him to death and they threatened peter and they sent him out right They threatened Peter, and they sent Peter and John back, and they said, don't you ever speak of this again. And they went back, and they told all the other disciples who were gathered together, and what did they do? They prayed. And when they prayed, what did they pray for? God, give us more boldness. They didn't pray to remove the danger of Caiaphas and all those who would kill him. They prayed for more boldness in this moment. And so it is for us as believers what strengthens us are the prayers of the saints that even in difficulty we pray, even in these tough times we pray, we call upon the Lord. Sometime God saves us out of the great and glorious trials of life in a miraculous way. And sometimes he sustains us. But in the same way, it is prayer that takes us through all of these things. And so we see these great and glorious privileges where Christianity flourishes. It was the first evidence of our conversion. And when we neglect it, our faith decays. Honestly, as we think about it, it is far more easy to begin a habit rather than keep it up. Satan wants us to grow weary. Satan wants us to grow weary. He wants us to not see the treasure that we have in prayer. He wants us to faint, if you will. But we, as believers, as this passage tells us, we must persevere. We must endure. Are we going to pray or are we going to faint? Are we going to pray or are we going to lose heart? Here, Jesus has always prayed don't lose heart. And when Jesus returns, how do you want to be found? One of my favorite games to play with Allison is to call her sometimes and to act like I'm not on my way home. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not lying. I'm just doing some game, y'all. And we'll be talking on the phone about our day and talking about things and we'll talk for whatever long period of time and then I get home and I keep talking and then I open up the door quietly and I walk in and there she is on the phone and there I am standing right there on the phone with her. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's fun. Isn't that how we want to be found when the Lord returns for us? Isn't that how we want to be found the Lord comes back for each and every one of us? That before we know it, we've been talking with him the whole time, and now we stand face to face with him. That's exactly what the scriptures are saying for us. Pray without ceasing. Open communication to the Lord. Don't stop. Keep praying. Live a life where you see your dependence upon him here this is the aim of the parable let's consider then these two characters if this is the aim of the parable for us to pray without ceasing to persevere in prayer as we prepare for christ to return then let's look at these two characters that jesus brings up the first character is a crooked judge many have referred to this as the parable of the unjust judge the crooked judge is here in those days the courthouse was not the biggest building in town. The courthouse was a tent that would travel around from one town to the other. And the judge would come through on the circuit and he would set up his tent and he would hear all the cases on the docket in the town before he moves on. And so now this judge comes in and sets up his tent in town. And this judge that comes is, as it says, an unjust judge. This judge clearly neither feared God nor respected man. These are the Two qualities needed for true justice, right? To have some law that is greater than us and recognize that we're accountable to something that has authority over us. This one didn't fear God. Nor uh, to to consider others and the good of others. This is what justice is for. So here you have a judge that doesn't even have the foundation of what a good and righteous judge should be. This one neither feared God nor, nor respected man. To get what you wanted from him, in other words, you needed to bribe him. You need to come up with some other plan. This judge was in it for himself. The poor victims had no chance. The ones who could offer him something had no chance. He didn't fear God nor respect man. He was in it for his own gain. And so he was looking selfishly only to be bribed, only to be, only to be uh, in this in, for his own benefit. And so he didn't care about those who stood in front of him. And here this widow comes and he doesn't care about her. He doesn't care about her. The fact is, it even lets us know that she had to come over and over again to him. She had to keep coming back. And so he let this widow, the victim, if you will, he let her just continually go. She had nothing to offer him, so he just kept sending her away. It says it outright, and I I find it interesting. I love how Jesus puts this there in verse 4. He says that the judge even says this about himself. Though I neither fear God nor respect man. The judge even admits that this is his position and this is his place. The second character in this parable is a widow. As we see in ours, this is the parable not of the unjust judge, but of the persistent widow, if you will. The widow would be the most helpless in all of society the most helpless in all of society, the one whose husband has died. No one would come to her help or her aid. There was no one there to protect her or watch over her. Even though she was the victim, her case was righteous. She had nothing before the unrighteous judge who wanted a bribe. She had nothing she could bring. She had nothing she could offer. She was simply coming on the own merit of her case, and the judge kept turning her away because he was unrighteous, selfish in his acts. All she had, the only thing she had, was her persistence. The only thing she had was the tactic by which she would go after this, and she came again and again. The only thing she had was her persistence, and she wasn't scared to use it. She was relentless. She wouldn't take no for an answer. In fact, look at verse 5. Yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You see, the unjust judge is at his wit's end. I am tired of it already. She's bothering me. She's beating me down. Some of y'all may notice, lady. And so she keeps coming in this way. She's bothering me. She's beating me down, and I can't take it anymore. So you see that the judge rules in her favor because of her persistence. But I want you to know as we look at these two characters, the unjust judge who neither to fear God, nor respected man, or the widow who was unprotected and had no one to look out for her, We need to recognize that this parable, the characters in this parable, are set up to us as a contrast, not a parallel. In other words, God is nothing like this judge. He's contrasting to him. God is just. He is fair in all things. He is righteous. God always does what is right. He does not do what is wrong. God is not looking necessarily for the self-interest of himself. He's looking for the glorious good of all people in that his glory reigns supreme. God is just in these things. God is not just just, he's loving as well. He knows his people and he loves them. In fact, the scriptures say that these are his elect. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, what does it say about God's elect? In love he chose them. That this is a love relationship with his people. So God loves his children. In other words, we never bother him. We never never bother him or beat him down. We are his children that he loves and cares for. This is the point of the parable. Not only is he just and loving, but he knows exactly what we need. He's wise. Even when we ask for the wrong thing, he will give us what we need. He gives us what we need even when we need it. Look at what he says. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect?" who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, he says. God is not concerned ultimately about our timetable here. That's not what this means. God is not in a rush for us. What it means is when he says he will give us justice speedily, it means he will give it to us exactly when we need it, exactly what we need. He will give it to us when no earlier than the right time and no later than the right time. Speedily it will come to us. So he says, pray and don't lose heart. Hear what the unrighteous just says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? God is nothing like the unjust judge in this. God is just and he is loving and he loves you and cares for you. He wants to hear from you. You cannot bother him. You cannot put him in a place where he feels like he's being beat down. God is ready to hear from his people and he is wise to give us exactly what we need. Pray day and night, it says. This should encourage us, right? It should encourage us to prayer. He's the opposite of the unjust judge. He gives what we need when we need it. It should encourage us to go to him. Sometimes we see celebrities and sometimes we see people in in higher positions than us and we see them out and about and we, we have this fear. We don't want to bother them. We don't want to step into their presence and bother them. Their time is precious. Well, there's no one who has more precious time than Jesus Christ himself. There's no one whose time is more precious than God the Father in the heavens and earth. He is eternal. He holds all things in his hand. There's no one more important than him. And he says to us, you will never bother me when you come to me. You will never bother me. And he's always, for his own glory, looking out for our best interest, giving us exactly what we need when we need it. But also here, we're not like the widow either. We're not like the widow in this story either. We are his children. We're not left defenseless. We're not vulnerable in this, part, in this place. We're not vulnerable. We're protected. We're nothing like the widow here. We, we're, we're loved by him. We're loved by God. We're not servants and we're not lonely in this world. We're sons and daughters of the king. We're, we're, we're a part of his family. Our righteous judge God in this sense also we need to know. He's also provided for us a lawyer that never loses. Not only is he the faithful judge who oversees all things, who's loving and wise and righteous and gives us exactly what we need, he also has written the check that has paid for our attorney bills, if you know what I mean. Because he has sent his son, the great mediator, to mediate on our behalf. And now the very occupation of the son is to sit on the throne and say, that one is mine. He is covered and our lawyer bills have been paid. For he, he argues on our behalf because of his own righteousness. He argues on our behalf. So here we're not like the widow who's left alone and all she has is her persistence. In fact, it's greater than that. We are loved by God. We are His children, not servants here. We're protected by Him. He's provided for us a lawyer who always wins and intercedes on our behalf. He's obligated to us, in, obligated Himself to us in Christ. We pray knowing that He answers us. We pray knowing that He will hear us. We always pray persistently. Not because God does not listen and we hope to get his attention somehow. We always pray consistently, persistently, because he's always listening. He's always listening. And if the widow got what she wanted, the very purpose of this prayer, of this parable here, if the widow got what she wanted, She got what she needed by persistently going to the unjust judge. How much more should the children of the father go to him, our righteous, loving, wise father? We go to God and we pray, not trying to get his attention. We go to him because he's listening. He's always listening. Third and finally then, here becomes the test of faith. Here becomes the test of faith. The final question in this parable. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Again, he's connecting this parable with what came before it the second coming. He's connecting that passage. We don't know when Jesus is going to come, but we know he's coming with suddenly and with judgment. And so how shall we be found in that moment? We shall be found praying and don't lose heart. Always pray and don't lose heart. And when he does come, will he find faith on this earth? The very heart of faith, the very exemplary nature of faith is that it is prayer. It is praying. If you don't have a praying faith, you don't have faith at all. The great demonstration of faith itself is that we're calling on one who is greater than us to save us and redeem us, right? We're calling on one who who, though our eyes may not have seen him, we know he is real and true because he has chosen us, saved us, and redeemed us out of sin and given us new life and we become testimonies of those things. We're calling on him and the very heart of faith is prayer. Every time we go, a father who art in heaven, we're demonstrating faith. Every time we call on him as father, as his children, we're demonstrating faith. It's the clearest example of faith, I believe, in all of the Christian life. Prayer. Prayer. Is that you, is the question. Is that you? Now, we can talk about the mechanics of prayer. We can talk about how to look at the scriptures and to be a better prayer warrior, if you will. Many of you, if your life is full of prayer now, it's not because you just simply caught fire with it, it's because you had to, you know what I'm saying? Some crisis comes up in your life. Some difficulty comes and you realize you got nowhere else to turn but to the Lord. Maybe you learned it that way. And by God's grace, he brought you to that point. And that's glorious, even though it came maybe through a difficult time and through a time of suffering, it's glorious. And he taught you that you must lean on him with everything always. But it doesn't have to be that way for us. It can be today that we are reminded of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. It could be today that we're reminded that the Father who is loving and wise and patient and good for us wants to hear from His children, so we call on Him and we begin to pray. It could be that, and we can talk about the mechanics of these things. Jesus says go into the closet. It's not something we do publicly, stacking phrase upon phrase upon phrase. In fact, I believe as you will look at our resources here that we provide to help you learn how to pray and those those spiritual habits, I believe the best way to pray for us as believers is with our Bibles open, reading God's Word and praying through God's Word for everybody in our life. You can worry about those mechanics all day long, but when it comes to Christ, I find something very interesting. Jesus never really instructs us on the posture of prayer. We find in the Psalms of kneeling and bowing before God, but Jesus just simply keeps saying, when you pray, when you pray. He doesn't really tell us about the place of prayer. Sure, he tells us to go into our closet, but he's speaking metaphorically. We don't do that in a way that everybody to see. We're not praying for everybody else's benefit, if you will. We're praying here for us. There's no special place of prayer. I want you to know that. We as Baptists believe this most clearly. Jesus Christ has saved us. He's our great intercessor. I don't care where you are. I don't care when it is. You can go to him at that moment. There's no special little area. There's no more sanctified spot. The sanctified spot is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and we cry out to him anywhere, at any time, at any place. We don't have a special time of prayer. We don't look at it to where you do it five times a day in certain directions. We don't have a special time that it must be offered every day. We can call on him anytime, right? We don't have a special length of prayer. Some of my most fervent prayers have been, Lord, help me. If y'all know what I mean, you know what I'm saying. We're not looking to pray for hours on end. that's not the design. We're not looking to pray for just a moment. We're looking to pray. Jesus never discusses the length. He never just talks about a place. He doesn't even talk about the posture that prayer comes in. He simply says, when you pray. So for us, let's stop worrying about the mechanics of it. And let's just start praying. Let's stop worrying about if we're doing it just the right way. God overlooks all of that. He says, I don't even care if you can formulate the words, just pray. I'll take care of the rest. Call on me. And when you see prayer, when you see prayer as the very life breath of the believer, that if you want a healthy Christian life, if you want to trust God by faith, if you want to walk and be strong in that faith, if you believe you want those things, then friends, first and foremost, you must be praying. Pray without ceasing. This is God's will for us. Create that habit in your life and let it become such a thing that it's even greater than that habit. Something you can't live without. Notice the privilege of prayer. He told them the parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. Pray. Whatever struggle we are going through, pray. Whatever joy we are experiencing now, pray. Whatever peace you may have that surpasses all understanding, pray. Call upon the Lord, for this is the natural right act for the believer. Let's pray even now. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and your gift of mercy and prayer. May we not neglect so great a privilege, Father. But may we pray to you without ceasing. May our communication with you be unending. Father, may we see the privilege. And I pray now that the Spirit would work in the hearts and lives of people in this room that not only they see the privilege of prayer, but that your word through your spirit, lights a fire in their bones to pray. That what they're concerned about first and foremost is that when Christ returns, when Christ returns, they'll be found in a faithful relationship with him. Pray. God, may we commit ourselves even now, not only to... Invest our lives into the spiritual habit of Scripture, Scripture intake and reading God's Word, but to invest our lives in prayer. And there's no telling, Father, what we may accomplish when we become a people marked by prayer. All of these things we ask. The power of Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together with me. If you don't know that privilege of prayer this morning, you can turn to Christ and he'll, he'll save you. And he'll give you that privilege to call on the Lord and he'll hear you. If you want to join us, be a part of our church, we'll be standing here. God has been good to us in giving us the gift of his son. Let us sing together.